the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I am really excited to have Lisa Perotti-Brown with me. Lisa's a master of wine with over 25 years' experience in the wine industry. You've lived all over the world, London, Tokyo, Singapore. You're in California now, doing all kinds of interesting things, primarily for many years with Robert Parker at The Wine Advocate as editor-in-chief, doing a lot of work there, publishing a book, Tasting Like a Wine Critic, all about quality, which is a book that I actually personally enjoyed. I judge, and your book was very helpful about Thank that. Thank you. And then um, not that long ago, you started The Wine Independent, which is a, a publication that I actually really love. But there's an interesting story behind it. And from my point of view, as a woman, the only woman in the wine industry who's ever really had sort of an international communication body like this was Jancis Robinson. And so now you're on deck with the Wine Independent, and I've been wanting to talk to you about this ever since it started. So thank you so much for coming. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, we're here at Wine to Wine Business Forum. Bumped into you when you were talking to MJ Towler. So uh, it was just my good fortune that I got to grab you and say, please come on Voices. When the Wine Independent started, it was kind of revolutionary. I mean, shocking slash scandal. So I just want to pick your brain, you know, what was what was going on? What was the motivation? What made you say, right, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to start my own. Well, it was kind of a two part thing, because um, first of all, there was the opportunity. Um, my my partner, Johan Berglund, um, who I'd known for many years, who has, has been, um, well, started out as a photojournalist, um, doing conflict photography, but then he came and, and started photographing wineries, uh, particularly around Bordeaux. Um, and I'd worked with him a little bit at the Wine Advocate. He'd done some projects for us. Um, he came to me with the idea. And this kind of coincided with a point in my career where I thought, you know, I've been working for other people for so long, you know, although I had a certain amount of creative freedom, I never had total creative freedom because I was working very much so under a brand, um, the Robert Parker Wine Advocate brand. It almost becomes like a template um, that, that you need to do things in a certain way. And there's there's not a lot of flexibility beyond that. And so he came to me with an idea about doing something completely new. Of course, it would still involve wine criticism, um, but, you know, that we could develop the database and the search engine and the way that tasting notes and reviews are presented, but also we'd have a lot more storytelling 
um, and emotive storytelling that's told as much with words as it is with visual images. And I thought, you know, this is this is what you know modern consumers need. This is where wine criticism needs to get to. We need to address the needs of an evolving fine wine consumer and not just, you know, sort of sit on our laurels and say, okay, this model is always going to, it always has worked and it's always going to work, being, you know, quite inflexible, forcing consumers to have to get wine advice in a certain way that just really wasn't working anymore. I agree with you. I think especially when we look at the hard data, we know that young people and new people coming into wine, the numbers are dropping at pretty much an alarming rate, actually. Mm -hmm. So we have to do something. Something isn't working anymore. I utterly agree with that. I think the language we use, the rigidity of how we talk about wine has been very off-putting in the past 10, 20 years. And scores, you know, the, the, you know, over-dependence on scores because, you know, the, the words themselves don't really resonate, you know, and, and maybe they're not applied with consistency. Sometimes they're not applied with expertise. You know, there's uh, you know, maybe uh, less understanding amongst critics because, let's face it, you know, you don't need a qualification to call yourself a wine critic. No, and you know? everybody now on Instagram is a wine expert. Yes. And I, I want to get on that bandwagon because I've spent 20 years <laughs> getting certified to do this, but it yep. seems that you can just... Yep. Be a wine expert. Just just slap that tag on yourself and boom, you're, you're off. Exactly. You know, photo, photograph yourself with a, a few bottles of wine and, and boom, instant expert. Yeah, I mean, there's that. But, you know, even even um, in, in a lot of the very famous wine criticism publications, you know, as, as uh, somebody who spent my life, you know, studying the meaning behind the words that we use, for example, body, seeing it used inaccurately so many times over and over again and misleading consumers into, okay, is this light, medium, full-bodied, you know, or are they all medium-bodied? You know, this is just a small example of how consumers find it very difficult to understand what they're actually buying when they read a tasting note. And it's also very exclusive. If you Mm -hmm. haven't taken WSET or or something similar, you have no idea what that is. And I think I'm an educator uh, on lots of levels, and I think that language is so crucial to the next generation of all wine consumers, but particularly fine wine consumers. If we're not careful, there aren't going to be any fine wine consumers in 20 years. Yeah, Um, that's true. Because... People don't want to speak that way. They don't want to be, as you said, you know, locked into this very rigid template. So mm-hmm. this is why I fell in love with the Wine Independent when you started it. It is absolutely visually beautiful. So that is a huge difference as well. It's not just bottle shots and you know, mm-hmm. things like that. It's very visually beautiful. It takes you right into the heart of the vineyards and, and into the homes of the producers often. So... The philosophy, you know, let's let's talk about the philosophy behind here because one of the, the best quotes I ever heard from you was you called yourself a hardcore wine critic, <laughs> and I loved that. So how are you taking your hardcore wine critic self into the magazine? What What's the philosophy and the ethos? Well, I think that that's the core of what we do. Um, we, we offer wine buying advice, and that's, you know, the website itself, what you're paying for, because... The articles, um, at the moment, we have are are free to view. You can read the stories. You can see the photography. Um, But if you want the the buying advice, the hardcore criticism, that's what you're paying for, a tool. Um, And so what we, we developed is a, first of all, the best 
search engine out there. I, I helped develop the one at Robert Parker Wine Advocate, so I was very aware of all its flaws. And, you know, let's face it, all of the other wine criticism publications are just cookie cutter images of what the wine advocate did. Um, so um, I, there, there were a, a number of flaws in the search engine that I wanted to address to make it easier for consumers to find the styles of wines they love. People, you know, they, they know what they're looking for. They know what sort of Cabernet they like, you know, whether they want a big, rich, full-bloodied blockbuster that's, you know, 15% alcohol, or they want the opposite. They want something that's fine and elegant and fresh that's 13% alcohol. You know, with, with the website, we added more filters, so we do have a filter for alcohol level. Now, you know, that can either be the actual alcohol level, which is what I prefer, um, you know, as, as the wine was tested, or it can be what's on the label, but at least it gives them an indication, uh, you know, like picking up a bottle and looking at the alcohol level. It gives you a rough idea. Also, um, myself and the other critics that I, I bring on board, we're all trained to know exactly what body means. We've got um, five levels of body that we put into the filters, light, light to medium, medium, medium to full, and full body. And you know, I, I sit down and I explain, you know, very carefully, a body is essentially built up of one alcohol level. So wine with less alcohol, 12.5% is going to be, generally speaking, lighter bodied than something that's 15% alcohol because it gives a sense of weight on the palate. Uh, likewise, dry extract. Dry extract is what you get from tannins and anthocyanins. That also gives a sense of weight on, on the palate. And so if you have a white wine that's of the same alcohol level as a red wine, the red wine will be slightly fuller bodied because of that dry extract. It gives a sense of weight on the palate. And residual sugar is the other major factor in these things. So that we are each on the same page when we use those terms and we can use them accurately. And that already helps, you know, a, a person who's looking for a specific style of a Chardonnay or Cabernet Sauvignon, which, you know, can run the full gamut, you know, to dial into their style, as it were, on the website by filtering down to say, okay, I only want uh, medium-bodied down to light-bodied wines that are under 14% alcohol. The other thing we do is we, for every single wine that we put in the database, we have the major grape variety. So instead of, for example, um, other, other reviewers for Bordeaux blends, um, we'll just put Bordeaux blend. Um, we actually say whether it's predominantly Merlot, predominantly Cabernet Sauvignon, or predominantly Cabernet Franc or, or something else. There's a few Petit Verdots as well. It's really interesting to look. You know, you look at a big report like um, over 800 uh, wines I reviewed for the 2022 vintage, and you can actually sort of say, oh, I love Cabernet Franc-based wines. I only want to sort of find those. Show me those. This is what I love about what you're doing because it is so consumer-based. It's, it's really for the reader's benefit. You're giving them the opportunity to to understand their own preferences and to buy smart, to not, you know, buy a bottle that says, you know, a Bordeaux blend and you get it home and you think, well, I, that's not what I like. Yeah. Because actually you prefer more Merlot in the blend. Or, you know, this this critic called it medium dotted. And, you know, I actually say it's full bodied, you know. Exactly. You know, that, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. And I think... At this point in time, you know, people don't have a lot of disposable income, um, you know, still recovering from COVID things, and they want to buy smart. And, of mm -hmm. course, now we're facing this whole crusade, for better or worse, about um, health. 
with with alcohol and wine and is you know drinking even one glass of wine a week going to kill you or mm-hmm. things like that so i think what you're doing is really talking to the consumer rather than you know other people in the industry as well are you enjoying this podcast don't forget to visit our youtube channel mama jumbo shrimp for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. While we're on this subject, what's your take on this new health issue, the, the concern about should we be putting, you know, sort of cigarette-style Wine will kill you on the label. Um, you know, where, where are we going with this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult question to ask somebody like me because, of course, I'm biased. Um, I work in the wine industry and I have... We all have to confront it, though. Exactly, exactly. To be honest, though, I mean, I I don't think, you know, cigarette warnings are warranted um, because I think that that's probably exaggerating what the the situation is with alcohol. But people do need to know. I think, you know, we should have more careful, um, and it's the the problem is it's very hard to police, but more careful um, and uh, conscientious a mention of what the alcohol level is in the wine because it's important. Um, it will um, give a, a consumer, you know, a, a rough idea about how much of that they can drink, you know, versus um, something that has less alcohol or something that's more alcohol. And it's not about, you know, everybody's going to go stampeding to the lower alcohol wines. You know, sometimes you're in the mood for something that's a bit richer, fuller bodied, you know, more powerful, but you just need to be aware that you can drink less of that. Exactly. And, and, you know, um, because, you know, I think that, you know, for the most part, responsible wine drinkers, they don't want to get completely sozzled. (laughs) No. No, they they want to have a pleasant experience, join the wine, usually with some food, and then, you know, feel good about themselves as well. And so we need to give them all the information they need in order to have that experience. And wine's a luxury. Yeah. It's it's not something that we need. Uh, it's something that we choose. And I think getting that notion to people's heads too, if you're going to take the time to, you know, investigate a wine, buy the wine, taste it, drink it, understanding that it's that it's a luxury, you know, not not just a route to, you know, a, a wild evening out is is something else that will help us as we're going forward. Uh, I like the fact that you're putting so much emphasis on the the level of alcohol in the wine. Mm. I think that's really crucial. And it's something that people don't really think about, particularly when they're drinking wines that they're not familiar with. A lot of you know Southern Italian reds are very powerful. You can have Primitivos up to 16%. But if people aren't aware of that, then um, it's kind of incumbent on us to, to make that happen. Yes, and, it, and particularly when, you know, with climate change, it's changing the styles of wine. I mean, we're seeing wines of those alcohol levels in a warm vintage on the right bank of Bordeaux. Absolutely. You Absolutely. know, and, and that's just, that probably comes as a surprise to a lot of people because traditionally that, that just wasn't the case. And I don't think most people, uh, people who aren't in the wine industry, you know, most wine drinkers, wine lovers, don't really associate climate change with wine. It's sort mm. of two separate things that aren't in the same room, but we know that they are. And... 
uh, you know, we are going to have these problems with with warm vintages all over the world, uh, wines changing. And again, we have to make people aware of that. First of all, so they're not disappointed. They buy their wine that they've always liked, and I don't like it anymore. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why has it become so fruity and so, you know, so warm and so robust? It wasn't like that before. And helping people to to buy wisely, as I was yeah. saying before. Um, so. With with the wine independent, what what are the plans? I'm excited because I I really enjoy it. I've said that a few times. I'm a fan. But what are the plans going forward? You don't you've only been doing it two years. Not even no. Not even. We're we're at about a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, well, you know, beyond the the hardcore wine criticism, um, which I said I, I wanted to improve upon um, when we did this, we we're also about storytelling, uh, very much so, and so. The other, the other frustration that I used to have, um, for example, with a wine advocate was what I called the big tasting note dumps. So basically, you'd, you'd bring out, you know, once every two months a huge report on a region that has, you know, 1,500 tasting notes, and you just dump them all in. And, and, you know, there's not much story there. You're not giving consumers a sense of an experience or a story to and tell with the wine. And it's extremely boring to read. Well, it is. It is because it's just, you know, waiting through tasting notes. Um, and so what I wanted to do was uh, break up some of those larger reports. So, for example, right now I'm uh, working on the 2021 vintage in Napa. And although I've just produced a vintage report so that if anyone who's interested in reading about what happened in the vintage and what they can expect from the quality of the wines, that's there. And I think that's almost more to the point than, a you know, you can only say blackberry and black cherry so many times, mm-hmm. and I write loads of tasting notes myself, and even I get bored reading that yep. stuff. So I think discussing the vintage that way is smart. And again, it's it informs the consumer in a way that, as you said, a huge tasting note dump does not do that. Yep. And the other thing that we did with the, the vintage reports is that we've made them searchable. So there's their own page. So I, I will write that report and then it will also go on to um, a vintage guide page where you can click on the region and the year and you can pull up very quickly that vintage report. And so that you don't have to go wading through the website trying to find it somewhere. It's all very easy to find. So there's that style. But also what I did was um, with the, the 2021 um, uh, Napa vintage was I thought, you know, I'm going to take 20... 25 different wineries who are doing something unique or did something special this year. And I'm just going to pull them out and I'm going to do their reviews separately. And I'm going to write a little story about them. You know, so it might be a new discovery. It might be somebody who's very famous, who's doing something new, somebody who um, was under the radar, who did something extraordinary this year. So I've pulled out producers like that. We bring our photographer in for a couple of weeks um, whenever we're working on a region like this, I send them off. I tell them, okay, this is what the story is going to be about. This is the kind of emotions I want you to capture. Can you make sure you take a picture of this person and, you know, this and this? And the photographers are so good. We, we've got two, Savante, uh, they're both from Sweden, and Johan. Um, and, you know, they're, they're boom. They get it straight away. They know what you, they know how they're going to frame this. Um, and so they've got the photography going on. I've got the, you know, interviews and the words going on. And so this elevates the experience when somebody buys this wine. So say somebody reads about this wine and they buy it and they, you know, sell it for all these years. And they've got this story and these images in their mind. So when they sit down with their friends with this bottle of wine, 
they say, let me tell you about this They're wine. connected. They're and it's almost connected. like they were there. You know, they, they say, I, I know uh, uh, there's a little story behind this wine that I want to share with you. And I think this is, this is the next level of wine experience. I remember the days in the early 2000s, you probably do, do too. You go to a dinner, somebody said, ah, I got a hundred pointer for you here. You know, this is a Robert Parker, a hundred pointer wine. You know, that would be, just be so vulgar to do nowadays. You know? <laughs> there was just no connection. Yeah, to exactly. It. It was know, just that all... was the story. Yeah, the, the metal, the, yeah. the sticker, the, yeah. the number, and, and the price. Yeah, but but the, the modern consumer has moved on. Nobody mm-hmm. does that anymore. That would be terrible. Yeah. Um, but what they do want to do is they want to, you know, when they share this wine, let me tell you why I bought this wine. This wine has a great story behind it, you know, and, and they've got the images, you know, the, the emotive images that we put on the website in their mind. It's almost like, you know, they were there um, and they can they can own that story and it empowers them, you know, to really be able to recreate an experience with their guests, with and, their family. And it's uplifting. It's yeah. it's really uplifting to to put together uh, what's going on in the vineyard, what's going on in the cellar, the producer or, or the winemaker himself or herself, uh, and connecting all those pieces of the puzzle. They, the consumer does buy in to, to that, and you mm-hmm. suddenly become part of the story yourself. Exactly. Uh, you, you've read the story. You feel like you've been there, and now you're presenting it almost as if you're the wine presenter to your friends, which is, is exactly what I so want. Empowering to yeah, you. it's great. And the, you know the the website. I never wanted it to be about me. I want you know it to be about the consumer. You know, it's it's not called Lisa Parati Brown. <laughs> you know, dot com. It's it's called the Wine Independent because first and foremost, we are independent. We don't take any money or gifts in kind from anyone. Um, uh, all of the opinions are our own and they're expertly given. But, you know, apart from that, it's about the consumer and it's about, you know, giving you the experience so that you can share that with your friends and make the whole culture of wine a much better thing. You know, it's it's um, I think it's it's where wine criticism needs to go. I completely agree. I'm so glad we've had this conversation because I'm looking forward to it developing as it goes forward. Uh, it's being able to tell stories like that are what connects us as human beings anyway. And to bring wine into that and to sort of exalt it with this wonderful background of, as you said, the words and the photographs is important to our future of the industry and also of our new consumers and, and where they're going to go with this. And I think keeping people connected, especially in this time of, you know, war and conflict, is hugely important to everything we do. And particularly if we're going to drink something, you know, actually take it into our body, we should have a connection with where it came from, who made it, and, and be able to share that. So I'm so grateful to you for coming on today, and I'm looking forward to the future of Wine Independent. I hope everybody who's listening takes a look at it because it's really worth it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.